morning. My name is Nate Waddell, and it is an honor to be here with you this morning and to be able to preach God's word to you. So um, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna read Matthew five thirteen through sixteen, which is in your bulletin, um, and hear the word of the Lord. Jesus says, "You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket." But on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that for your word. We thank you that it is alive and active, able to shape us at the deepest parts of who we are. We ask, Lord, that you would do this this morning, that you would make this word and take this word, and you'd write it onto our hearts. Make us to love you, to serve you with joy and gladness. We love you so much, Father, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so I remember the very first time that somebody shared the gospel with me, or one of the first times. I was actually a sophomore in high school, and I was in geometry class, and I was talking to a friend who was on the football team with me, and he said, you know what, Nate? I would love to share with you the gospel. And I was like, all right. And he said, here it is. The gospel's this. He said, you can live just like Jesus, just like he said in the Sermon on the Mount. And if you do, you will be able to go to heaven. And I uh, I had never heard of the Sermon on the Mount at this point in my life. And so I said, well, what does he say? And he said, uh, said, well, it's about this. It's about loving your enemies. It's about praying for those who, who, who are your enemies, and you can even turn the other cheek. And I said, love your enemies. Uh, well, A, I don't really believe in heaven. Uh, and secondly, or that there's life after death. But secondly, I really don't want to love my enemies. So I don't really think this is for me. Uh, and I, so I am a Christian now, which is good news for, for all of you guys. But, uh, but I have not forgotten this. Never. I've never forgotten this. Uh, because basically what he said is the Sermon on the Mount is about uh, being the best You could be being like Jesus, living that way. And if you can, then God will love you. And my thought all these years later is as I've heard people say this about this sermon in different ways and shapes and forms is uh, my question is, is is that what this is about? Is this sermon really about being good enough or or living to the highest, like, like Jesus, so that God will love us, so that he might save us? Is this sermon about uh, not being like the Gentiles and the non-believers and the atheists and the people of other religions, but being like Jesus, who are really, really good, so that God would love us. And I think this is an important question. What is the Sermon on the Mount? C.S. Lewis says, the first qualification for judging any piece of workmanship from a corkscrew to a cathedral is to know what it is. It's to know what it is. What is it intended to do and how is it meant to be used? And so what is Jesus intending to do in the Sermon on the Mount. Well, Jesus is actually speaking to the people of God, to to his people, to the people of the covenant, to the people who claim to worship and love him and serve him. They're his people on earth. And what he is saying in a sense is this. He's saying it is possible to be in the community and amongst the people of God, but to not truly love and worship God from the heart. 
It is possible to, to, to be amongst and live amongst the people of God, but not really to love God from the heart. It's possible in a way to show up to church your whole life, to know the Bible, to be really, really good, but also to not really love and embrace the promises of God from the heart. In other words, Jesus, in speaking against certain people, is not speaking against Gentiles and atheists and people from other religions and non-believers and saying, be really good. He's actually speaking to the people who live in amongst the people of God. He's speaking to the people of God the entire sermon in Israel. But he's also saying, do you really love God from the heart? And he's calling those people across Israel to truly embrace and love God from the heart. And of course, this is what the prophets have been doing since the Old Testament. What are all those prophets doing in the Old Testament? What are they talking about? Well, they're speaking to the people of God and they're saying, come and love the Lord from the heart. And all those judgments towards Israel was really a call and a way for people to embrace the Lord. Which is why at the end of the sermon, Jesus talks about judgment. And he says, listen, there's two types of people in Israel. There are those who, who love God from the heart, but then there are other people who at the end will say to him, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not serve you? Did we not drive out demons? Did we not do all these mighty works? And Jesus says, depart from me, for I never knew you. For I never knew you. The question is, do we really love God from the heart? Because this is what he says to Israel, the people of God on the planet. So one of the purposes of this entire sermon, probably given many times throughout the land of Israel, is to call the people who live in and amongst the people of God, the Israelites, to really love God from the heart. And he shows and he tells and he explains what this looks like. What does it really look like to love God from the heart? And in our text today, he says, the people of God are salt and light to the earth. They're salt of the earth. They're the light of the world. And because they are salt and light, they do salt and light stuff. They do salt and light things because they are salt and light. And so the people of God who love God from the heart are salt and light. And because they are salt and light, they live as salt and light. That's who they are. And so the question becomes, what does it mean to be salt and light in the world? What does Jesus mean? And this isn't only an identity question, but Jesus shows that it also drives our purpose and our living. So we are going to look at what it means. What does it mean to be salt of the earth and the light to the world? Well, let's look first at verse 13. Jesus says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So Jesus says, you all are salt of the earth, or more accurately, y'all. Y'all are the salt of the earth. Not just you, but us, the people of God. You are all the salt of the earth. The followers of Jesus are salt. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus's audience would have immediately recognized that salt, uh, what he meant by that, because everybody had to use salt. Uh, when you, you know, if you harvested a thousand cucumbers, uh, you couldn't eat all those in one day. So you needed some salt to make it so that they would last. That food had to last you for the, for the entire year. If you slaughtered a ginormous cow and cut it up, you couldn't eat that all in one day, as much as you'd like to try. You couldn't eat it all in one day. And so they used salt to preserve meat, to preserve vegetables, because it had to last. And so they used it for, for other things like putting on wounds, but the main purpose was it prevented things from decaying. And he says, and he turns to these people and says, you are all salt of the earth. Each of you, together, 
are like a handful of salt that is put onto and rubbed into wounds, into decay of this world to prevent it from rotting. And what's crazy about this is Jesus is saying this to ordinary people across the entire land of Israel, not just the religious elite, but to people who have full-time jobs, to men and women, to families, to children, to groups of uh, a group of most likely teenage disciples. And he says to them, you are salt. You are to be the type of people who enter into the brokenness, the pain, the sinful, the dying, decaying parts of this world and the people in it and care for them. That's who you are. You are the salt of the earth for the people who live in it. And we are all very aware of this brokenness. I feel like it's becoming less and less that I talk to people and they're like, sin isn't real. There's not bad things going on in this world. Everybody I talk to, they have a finger on, they have some sort of definition of this is what's wrong with the world. Everybody sees the brokenness. There's the loneliness. There's the competitiveness that is required to succeed that I see brother betray brother and friend betray friend. Yes, I want them to get good grades. Yes, I want this person to get that job, but I actually want it more. And I might say something even against my best friend to have it. There's poverty, there is corruption, there is violence, there is slander, there is an inequality of resources and an inequality of access to them. The fact that there is brokenness and hatred over every difference shows the brokenness of this world. And Jesus knows these things exist. He knows it. But he is here not dealing with the question of why is there decay? His question is more like this. Why, if there is salt on the earth, is it not working against Why, if there is salt in the earth, is it not working against the decay? In a world of sin and brokenness, of death, where are the people of God who are called to push against it? Now, I don't know if you've ever seen anything to be salted before, but I have. I sat at a table once in China. I I used to live there for five years, and I watched a man cutting up meat, and he had this big bowl of salt, and he would, take, uh, he would take the salt and he would like almost like throw it at the meat and then he would get like a ton of it on there and then he would start rubbing the, these handfuls of, of salt and sprinkling it and rubbing it all over this meat. And he needed a bunch of this to do this, but done rightly, what was fascinating to me is if you did it rightly, it literally worked. It did prevent decay. It prevented the bacteria from coming and destroying the meat. And so to rub the salt on there really did preserve the meat so that people could buy it for days and days and days. It didn't go bad. And Jesus says, you all are the salt of the earth. (laughs) You are. You're this, for this earth, for the people who live in it. When God's people see suffering and injustice, and the wrongness of this world, and do not enter into it, when we do not care, when we do not fight against it, we are like salt that has lost our saltness. It has missed both what it is and what it was made to do. But this isn't a new idea. We read in our text this morning that we are meant to, since the beginning of Abraham, to do justice and to do righteousness. These are verbs, do justice, not just a condition, but this is a thing we do. It's commanded in the Bible. And what doing justice is, is it is entering into the wrongness of the world when the scales are tipped towards injustice and we play our part to make things right. And God says it is by our doing justice and righteousness that he would fulfill his promises of Abraham, that the world might know God. And the promise to 
to reach all the families of the earth might come to truth. And Jesus says, this is what we are. We're salt. And here's the thing. You are all salt. (laughs) You are all salt right now. You are salt. You are the salt of the earth. God has made you salt, and you are the salt of this city. You are the salt of your families. You are the salt of your friend group. You are the salt of your neighborhoods. You are the salt of your coworkers. This church is a handful of salt. And for the rest of your life, you will see decay. You will see brokenness. You will see sin. You will see injustice, and you will see corruption. And my hope is that you will remember who you are. You're salt, meaning these problems that I see are not someone else's problems. They might be mine because I'm salt. And of course, this is what the early church did. They knew they were salt. This is why they picked up babies from the trash heaps. This is why uh, people said to, to, to the Romans who had a right to take any woman and said, you know what? You cannot just rape and take who you'd like. This is why the early church um, who saw the sick and the dying on the side of the road, people tossed to the side of the road because they had the plague. They came and took those people, even though it might cost their own lives, and they cared for them. They did this because they were salt, (laughs) and so they lived as salt in a broken world. So Jesus here is forming his people, who would be the type of people who would enter into the brokenness, the loneliness, the despair of this world, and work to kill and to push back that which was killing his people. To be salt means, at the very least, we care. At the very least, it means we care. So the first thing we see here is that we're salt. We push back, we push against, we push back the decay and work to preserve God's good things that he has made. But Jesus doesn't say we are only salt. He also says that we are light. Look with me again at verses 14 through 16. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. We are as a people and the lives we live showing the very beauty and truth and goodness righteousness of God. We are the truest images of God in the world. And if salt is, is rubbed into brokenness and it pushes back against decay, or in other words, it's, it's dealing with the negatives, it's entering into the negatives, light is doing that which is good and beautiful and loving and right and true. It is in a sense living towards the positive. It is being beautiful. It is doing that which is good and pleasing to the Lord. You see, light reveals and shows God in the way that life is meant to be lived, the way that he has designed. It is good. It is doing righteousness. Living in the light is doing what God desires of his people. And similarly to salt, when when we as the people of God don't do what God commands, when we don't reflect his character to the world, we're kind of like a candle that God has lit, meant to give light to the whole room. But Jesus says, When we don't live the way God designed, it's like putting a lamp over the top of that light. You just wouldn't do it. It doesn't make any sentence or sentence. It doesn't make any sense. It's the opposite of why God has made us light. God has made us light, Jesus says, to shine and to show the world the Lord so that they may see him and know him and even glorify his name. Therefore, being a Christian and only private, 
As my grandfather used to say to me all the time, politics and religion are private. We don't talk about them, especially at the dinner table. But being a Christian only in private and not being a blessing to others is like salt that has lost its saltness. It's like being a light and hoping to give off light to the whole room, but then you put a basket over it. It makes no sense. It's the opposite of why God has made us salt and light. It goes against the very thing that we are to the core. We are salt and light to the world, and God has made us to be light and to shine. And what's crazy about this, fascinating to me, is that Jesus says when we're light, when we live the way that God has designed, we reflect his character, when we walk and live like Jesus, the world sees God. The world experiences and sees God when we live our lives the way God designed and they come to know, and more fascinatingly, even to give him glory. Therefore, Jesus says, do your good works to others so that they may see him and give glory to his name. And therefore, we are to live our Christian lives in the midst of the world, in the midst of the city, in the midst of our neighborhoods. We are to be light because in doing so, we will be a blessing to those who are in relationships with us. But Jesus says people will see God through his people and even glorify him, and this is astounding. And if that means anything, one thing this means, it has to mean is, man, your life matters. Your life matters so much. You're a light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. One of my favorite examples about reading about sort of, it's not really a, the main purpose is not to show, uh, to, to explain salt and light, but it is a, a picture of the early church. Uh, and a man tried to describe these, this, uh, these Christians. And this is what he said. I'm gonna read you this quote. And it says, he said, Christians, while they live in both Greek and barbarian cities as each one's lot was cast, and they followed the local customs and dress and food and other aspects of life, at the same time, they demonstrated the remarkable and admittedly unusual character of their own heavenly citizenship. They live in their own countries, but only as non-residents. They participate in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign city is their fatherland and every fatherland is foreign to them. They marry just like everybody else and have children, but they do not expose their offspring or throw them away. They share their food, but they do not share their wives. They are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, but in their private lives, they transcend the laws. They love everybody, and by everybody, they are persecuted. They are unknown, and yet they are condemned. They are put to death, and yet they are brought to life. They are poor, yet they make many rich. They need everything, and yet they abound in everything. They are dishonored, and yet they are glorified in their dishonor. They are slandered, and yet they are vindicated. They are cursed, and yet they bless. They are insulted, and yet they offer respect in return. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers, and when they are punished, they rejoice as they are being brought to new life. By the Jews, they are assaulted as foreigners, and by the Greeks, they are persecuted, and yet those who hate them are unable to give a reason for their hostility." The early church was marked by both rescuing babies from trash heaps, but then they didn't just rescue them, they raised them as if they were own, their own. And they set up some of the world's first orphanages. <laughs> the early church picked up the sick and the dying from the road, knowing that to care for them might cost them their own lives. But they also said, let's build things like hospitals. And they did this, why? Because they're salt, because they're lights, 
To do anything different would make no sense. It's who they are. Jesus has made them to be salt and light. And so they are salt and light. And they live as salt and light. And let's remember that Jesus is speaking to the people of God. um, uh, And he says to them, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And if that's true, let me just say this. It changes everything. It means that I can't think about anything simply. My job is not just about making money. My job is about being a blessing. If I buy a home, it's not just so that I can have a place to go to and rest or sleep, but it's to be a blessing, to love my neighbors, to care about not only the things that are wrong with it, but to seek to make it more beautiful. It means that during this season of life and every season of life after, I'm always looking to fight against the sin and brokenness of the world to love my neighbor, but also to live a life of beauty and godliness and obedience and to be a blessing to my neighbor. The Bible says we are to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourself. And this is what it means to be salt and light. Now you may be thinking, great, uh, another sermon about doing better. Another sermon about trying harder. Another sermon about doing more. I already felt guilty before I came in because last week was hard enough. And now you're telling me I need to do even more to be salt, to be light. This is just too much, Nate. This is just too much. Are you saying that I'm gonna have to quit my job so that I can actually have the space to do this? Do I need to leave my family as some people have done just so that I can be a Christian? Do I have to become a pastor so that I have enough time to do all this? But let let me just point something out to you. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say quit everything you're doing so that you can be salt and light. He says you already are. You already are salt and light. And God wants you to be salt and light where you are. He doesn't say move. He doesn't say abandon your family. He looks to farmers and to husbands, to daughters. He looks to disciples. He looks to to stay-at-home moms, to lawyers, to tax collectors, to children, to soldiers. And he says, you, my people, are the salt and light of this world. You already are. Therefore, be who you are, where God has already planted you. You are a Christian. Be who you are. This means I do things like work with integrity. This means on Sundays I might rest with my family and show both my family and the world that school and work and money does not have to be an idol. It means I'm, I might smile and be kind when I go out into the world, when I, when I sit down at a restaurant. It means I do things at work to try and bless others. It means I get to know my neighbors. It means being a Christian where God has already placed you. And Jesus says, by your good works, By the good that you do, these people might even see and glorify God. Some of you might be thinking, that is beautiful. Truly, it is beautiful. I can't argue with how beautiful this is or how purposeful this makes life. But I don't know anybody who actually lives like this. Who could live like this? Uh, How do I actually get the strength to do something like this? But I'll say this. There is one person who did live like this. And his name was Jesus. And the only answer I have for how to find the strength and the motivation to know how to do this is by the very grace of God given to us through Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible tells us that God looked down upon the world and he saw the sin and he saw the brokenness and he saw the decay and you know what it says? He had compassion. He cared. You see, Jesus left the heavens. God left the heavens and he came down. And Jesus came and he looked and he saw the sin and the death and the decay and the brokenness of this world. And he came down and 
He was salt. He was salt for us. It was Jesus who came back and pushed against sin and death and corruption wherever he saw it. It was he who cared for the poor and the sick and the dying. And he even restored his own, the enemies that he had. It was he who prayed for people who were torturing him, whipping him and abandoning him. And it was he who moved towards the least of these wherever he saw them. All of God's people at one time were subject to sin and death and decay. In fact, we are. We have been a part of spreading the sin and the death and the decay. But it was Jesus who moved towards us and he moved towards us to have us. It was Jesus, though he was wounded and beaten and even killed, taking all of our sin and death upon himself. And in that moment, he was being salt for us. He took on our sin and death and all that was rotting and destroying and killing us so that we could be restored and preserved unto eternal life. Jesus is the salt of the earth and he unites himself to us and by grace, he makes us salt. His grace so melts our hearts that like him, we are being transformed to the point where we want to be salt. Isn't that the greatest power of grace in the world? Not to brainwash you, but you find the more that I love Jesus, the more I wake up and I want to be salt because it's by his salt that I have life. But the Bible also says that Jesus came as the light of the world. There was no darkness in him, none at all. He came not only to show us God, but was the very, but was God. He came as light to reveal to us and to show us the darkness. He showed that there is darkness everywhere, but he didn't just show us the darkness, he pushed it back. He lived a beautiful, good, truthful, perfect, loving life in every way. He was righteousness itself. And by God's grace, he gives that all to us. We are righteous because Jesus is righteous. He has given us that righteousness. And it's as we both see and experience the salt and light that comes from Jesus Christ that we find our hearts are being transformed, as Paul says. Jesus, who is salt and light by grace, has made us salt and light. And now we find we want to do these things. You see, it's only by tasting and seeing Jesus Christ for yourself and experiencing his work, both as being salt and light in your own hearts through the gospel that we truly become salt and light, as he says we are. Jesus makes us want to. Jesus unites to his people and makes them salt and light in the world, just as he was. And so now we go and we are salt and we are light and we live as salt and light and we do good works and we shine them before others because we pray and we marvel that they somehow see God's glory. They see Christ in us as we live like Christ who has sent his spirit and works through us even now. So go, therefore, you who are salt and light and be salt and light in the world. Let's pray. Father, you are good. We thank you, Lord, that you came as salt. You never lost your saltiness. Lord, you preserved, you pushed back sin and rescued us. Thank you, Lord, for becoming sin so that we might not know sin. Lord, thank you that you lived such a beautiful and good and righteous life and showed us the way to life everlasting. And Lord, I pray that we would rest in your grace, rest in your love, And Lord, that we might be so with such joy that we may go into our cities and our homes and to our workplaces. And Lord, that we might be salt and light. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. We pray all this in your name. 